if a black woman begins a conversation with a romantic partner talking about money, they're looking at her like she is a gold digger who doesn't have money of her own and is looking for a come up. Oh shit. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Still. So when you're when you're having money conversations, cause you know, like so-called too early, now it's like, oh, you must not have none and you're trying to get mine, and I'm not dating no gold digger, right? And and then it's like, well, okay, and at what point do you actually bring it back up? At what point do you talk about, you know, your six-figure student loan debt? Because that is money, right? Like, when do you start having those conversations? And people are delaying those conversations until they feel like they are serious about somebody. Because we treat our lack of money as a secret shame or our having money as something that we are supposed to be secretly glad about and show by the way of the things that we wear and the things that we buy, but not through the things that we say. School is in session, fam. I am Donovan, and welcome to another episode of Stranger Fruit. You are tuned into Summer School, our audio-only summertime series where we explore the last year across a few topics that we believe as black and brown folks it is important that we are well-versed in, okay? Where were we a year ago, and where are we now? We've had some really dope guests join us for this series, and today is no exception. Thank you for being here for Chapter 6, Humanity 101, our final installment of our summer school series. Now, if you don't already know, Stranger Fruit is a -a one-of-a-kind video podcast experience where you get a front-row seat to the thought-provoking conversations featuring some of the most brilliant young voices from the black and brown diaspora. We discuss and debate an array of fascinating topics from sex and politics to sports and religion. Now, we may not always agree, but we are firm believers that conflict and compassion are a great recipe for empathy. Now, unless you have been living under a rock, you are well aware of the gender wars and the modern transactional approach to relationships, where instead of us wondering who a person is, we are more concerned about what they quote-unquote bring to the table. And I know some of you are like, what is wrong with wanting someone to bring something to the table, right? Well, as we discuss in Chapter 3 covering the gender wars, and for those of y'all that did not go check out that episode, go check it out now. It's a dope episode. But folks are reducing relationships to money and household chores. Like, this is the 60s, despite the fact that we are in a different time. Women are making more money than men oftentimes, and many men are not the breadwinners. But why are we stuck in what seems to be a relationship rut? Where is the humanity or nuance that speaks to the dynamics of real relationships? Today, we are going to get into the dynamics of money in relationships, how social media affects our view of relationships, and we will hear from some dynamic guests to help us unpack this. So special shout out to Dr. Donna, Leah, and my co-host Constanza Eliana for this necessary conversation on relationships. Let's go. So... I definitely want to start with Dr. Donna, resident therapist. I love, I always love your takes on this. So how do we feel about divorce rates still being so high on the financial issues stuff? Like, are you seeing, I don't know if you see couples, but are you seeing people just kind of coming to you with this consistent story of, you know, finances kind of putting a strain on relationships? Absolutely. Um, And yes, I do still see couples. I see individuals and couples and money is something that definitely comes up, except that more times than not, it's not actually the money. Mm. 
say more. Money is the thing that we see, right? But the issue is not the money. The issue is you're not pulling your weight. The issue is you're not showing up. The issue is that there's no reciprocity within the context of the relationship and money is one way that there is no reciprocity. That makes a lot of sense. And so the people are unhappy. Yeah, I'm like, because, I mean, really, let's be real, you know, some days you're, you know, you might be caking it, right? Like you got, you got the job, but if you decide that you're going to go in a completely different route and, you know, I'm using my own relationship as example, right? I had a good, I had a good government job, went and worked for a school system and was making more money and then decided I was going to start my own business, which means that money was looking funny yes. for a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Really? Right? It was, money was looking, money was looking mad freaking funny. But my partner had to trust me that I was going to, that I was still going to pull my weight, that I was still going to do my very best to get it back. And I did. Your girl was caking it for a whole hot minute. And now I'm pivoting into doing something a little bit different than what I was doing before. So again, it's faith all over again. You know, I think that. So it's not the money per se. It's, Mm -hmm. it's the person. And what that like, number one, if you only marry somebody because you know, they got money or you're only with them because they have money and they suddenly don't, then the thing that you value is gone. But if it's the person that you value and you are in a space where you're about to break up or divorce because of money, it's not the money itself. It's all the things that the money represents. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask you, Dr. Donna, um, what do you think about like the like the more modern days and these modern streets? People are talking about get the bag. You know what I'm saying? Like, make sure you get this. Make sure she, she buys you that and this. Like, people are on some next shit these days. Like, where money is at the forefront. Do you feel that in your sessions, for example, dealing with clients, do you see that kind of energy coming into the space? Or is it more stuff that we just see in the social media space that's kind of like hyping that disposition up? Are people following the root of love first? Or are they are, are they like, no, give me that bread first? I think that people are looking for security in whatever way security comes in. They're looking, people are wanting guarantees in a world that doesn't offer any. I think that when we feel stuck, feeling extra shaky the way that they've been, when we see all the fuck shit happening the way that we keep seeing it happen, we start looking for like, all right, cool. How can I, what is the thing that I can be steady on, right? So like you can't control half the shit that's going on out here. I mean, seriously, the politics be politicking in a way that don't make no damn sense. So you start looking for money because money feels like security, especially in a world that is this fucked up. Because at the very least, money means that you have housing. It, ha- it means that you have food. That no matter what the gas prices do, that you can still go ahead and put a gallon or two in the car. Right? right. So there is a focus on money. But the, what's coming into the therapy room is not really about money. People are actually lamenting about the emptiness of having it. Ooh. Oh, shit. <laughs> Whoa. That's actually, I did not expect that. I, I didn't. You know, I like to throw a little razzle-dazzle on <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> I'm here for the razzle-dazzle. I'm here for it because, you know, I was actually single for a, a decade. Just out here, just, you know, <laughs> you know, trying to make it work with a little Tinder app. You know what I'm saying? Like, but it was a long-ass time. And I would say, you know, my relationship prior to that, we did have some issues around money. One, at one time I was making more money. The next time he was making more money. But when there was a time, like I I distinctly remember being in a position where I was out here in these entrepreneur streets, 
had taken a break because a family member had gotten sick and I did not have like a, a traditional job. And baby, the tension was so hot in that oh, apartment and no. that little <laughs> studio loft, baby. It was very, very stressful. So I will actually, you know, testify that money issues really does contribute to awkwardness in a relationship. But to Dr. Donna's point, there was a lot of other stuff going on That's behind the scenes. Thing. Things that I weren't that I wasn't even aware of, if I'm being honest, that wound up coming to the surface as a result. The money stuff exacerbated it. So I, I agree with you 100 percent on that, Dr. Don. But I mean, something that you just sort of snuck in there, right? It's also about power and control. Right. Absolutely. Because like the money problems that we see are not really about the money, right? So like if I have a heterosexual couple coming in, for example, and the feminine partner is making more money, usually it's a problem within the context of their relationship. But it's not the money. It's that he feels he has no power within the context of the relationship and is trying to find other ways to knock her down a peg or two so that he can feel more manly. Or it might be that she's throwing the idea that she has money in his face and making him feel like he's less than because he doesn't make much. So we end up talking about power and control. It's money is the is the mask that is being worn to discuss power and control because money is one form of power that one can have. But power never stops being present just because you love the person you with. I will definitely admit that not having the coins at that time in the relationship, I did feel very, very shaky, very insecure. And I would say that like my partner at the time, I think that he was definitely feeling the financial stresses. But like I said, there were other things going on there. And I remember that power shift, that dynamic. Yo, Dr. Donna, we couldn't even agree on what color to paint the walls. Okay. We couldn't even agree on what type of furniture to get. That's how serious that power struggle was. And I realized that in retrospect, but I did not realize it at the time. At the time, it was very much about money. So it would be interesting if people would actually think about their relationships, think about the money issues that you have and think about like what else it can be. Considering the fact that everybody can't afford a wonderful therapist like you, Dr. Donna, it is something to take into consideration when you are having money issues. What is this really about? Yeah. And I've been with my husband, now husband, for, we've been together how long? 11 years? Yeah. Almost 12, I think. Oh, y'all deserve an award or something. I know. (laughs) And yeah, what we um, were pretty much engaged from like since the first year, but because of money struggles, moving across the country, job changes, just being millennials after recession, after recession, like housing crisis after housing crisis. We actually didn't get married until um, almost two years ago. And so we celebrated our first uh, wedding anniversary this year. Hello. No, last year. <laughs> We've been That's together forever. I almost forget. Um, but yeah, and, and money has always been one of those things that is a constant Like, thank you so much, Dr. Donna. Um, (laughs) So it's definitely, I can definitely attest to that. I had, this is the longest relationship that I've been in. So I can't really say that this has, um, that money has shown up in other relationships in the same way. But we have been fortunate that in the last like two or three years, we have been able to go to a couples therapist 
And we've been able to at least have the discussion around how it makes us feel. Because just like Dr. Donna said, there's so much more underlying um, beneath that. And for me, as a Boricua, as a Latina who has always been low income, um, money is a big deal for me. It definitely has a lot to do with security. I have a lot of fear around being broke <laughs> because I've experienced that multiple times in my life. Um, and, you know, that that that's the kind of stuff that I have been able to um, have as introspection for myself around how I talk about money issues. And I'm not perfect. I know my husband will be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> he's right behind me. He's like, he's giving me side eye. He's like, what are you talking about? But, <laughs> I have not been perfect at all, but I have been able to kind of uh, communicate about money struggles or money in general in a different way after being able to at least have the discussion and be able to hear from him through another person, you know, there to be able to actually listen to what he has to say um, about, you know, how it's affecting him and how he feels about money. And that is not something that we had talked about in the eight, 10 plus years before we had gone to therapy. So that's definitely something um, that I've experienced too. And I want to bring Leah into the conversation as well, because you definitely are a person that I started following because you speak about money in such a drastically different way. You bring in culture into it. You're Latina. So you definitely bring in Latino culture into the conversation, but you also bring in, um, not just heterosexual uh, relationships around money, but also homosexual relationships. And so, and how different that can look, but sometimes how similar they can feel. So I want to bring you into this conversation too, is what are you seeing around the conversation around love and money and relationships in general, and in particular, when it comes to millennials and gender? Yeah. So I think it's, it's crazy that, you know, every culture has a different relationship with money. You know, as a Latina, similar experience, we didn't have those conversations in, in my household. And if it was, it was very traumatic. There was like financial um, manipulation in my household, you know, and it still happens to this day where, you know, there's machismo in la cultura latina where a male has to provide for the female. And, you know, the male is really the one that drives all the decisions. The woman at home just kind of listens. So when we think about our relationship with money and especially in couples, we don't really understand our current relationship with money. We don't really know, you know, how money is super traumatic to ourselves, you know, especially in your upbringing, you have money stories that affect, you know, what you do with money and, and how you're acting towards money even today. And similar to what Dr. Donna said is money is a tool and it's driven by our energy. And if we're in scarcity or lack mentality, that energy is going to drive, you know, our relationship with money. So especially in couples, a lot of them don't even have money conversations in the very beginning, right? It's more about how you appear and your status, and, you know, oh, okay, they look like they have money, you know, I want to be with them. Or there's like cultural expectations as well that say, okay, you have to, you know, I was told I had to marry a a white man, you know, because that would make sure that I was secured, that my bag was secured through this white man. <laughs> And I'm like, you know, I ended up being the man, you know, in, in, in the sense that, you know, I do take a lot of that masculine energy in my relationship because I have a partner where I'm the sole provider of the family um, currently. And so 
you know, going through the typical dynamics in a sepultura, there's I, there's things that I'm fighting against, right? Norms that we're fighting against all the freaking time because people see on social media all these standards. Oh, you know, I want a man that does this, this, and this, or I want a partner that does this, this, and this, or has a bag that can take care of me, that can give me this beautiful lifestyle without realizing that, you know, what is the reality and true intention? You know, a relationship is not driven by money. It should not be driven by money. And if that is, there's something, there's things that you need to really consider, but you know, I think, you know, understanding your current relationship with money as an individual before you even bring that up in a couple conversation is really important because you're honestly just deflecting everything that you're feeling internally. Similar how Donovan was explaining, like he was stressed about his coins, you know, about things going on, especially the entrepreneurship journey. I face it right now, you know, all the time where I'm stressed about, you know, maybe the next month and or what's happening, you know six months from now, because I, I want to get married, you know, I want to plan my wedding. So I'm thinking about all of these things. And yes, money causes stress. That is, there's things that that just kind of happens because it, money provides security, just like Dr. Donna was, was saying. So, you know, it's really reflecting within before we reflect, you know, to our, to our partners and even having those type of conversations isn't, you know, common with relationships. I, I remember I was on TikTok. I made a video about having co money conversations with your partner and that we usually just follow cultural or society standards when it comes mm -hmm. to our money relationships. We don't follow our own. And I was talking to my girlfriend about this the other day. I was like, at the end of the day, it's really the dynamic between your partner that makes you both happy, right? Whether I'm the sole provider or whether we're both providers within the household, it's whatever dynamic that makes you both happy. That's right, different strokes for different folks. Now, what I find interesting about this conversation is the digital world that we are forced to navigate. To even date today, you have to be on a dating app. And once you connect with someone, we immediately head to social media to see what the hell that person is giving. And do not lie, we all do it, okay? And in the social space, popularity and image are so important that your social persona can make or break your romantic connections. But it's not only that. Our timelines are filled with people giving relationship advice or self-help steps that can complicate our ability to genuinely connect because half of them motherfuckers don't know what the hell they talking about. The video game-like quality of dating apps, along with the toxic soundtrack of music being delivered in this era, has polluted the dating landscape and it is really important to be clear about that. So, while we are depending on algorithms to match us, we should not forget the human connection that we claim we are searching for, which can't be quite captured in the matrix, okay? So stay woke. Now let's get back to Eliana, who dives into the digital dating landscape. When I was dating my husband, like I literally told you, it was 11 years ago. I don't, I don't even remember Tinder being a thing. I don't remember remember people having the swipe right, swipe left. It may have just started um, back then, but I didn't have that as my dating experience. I literally like had to go out <laughs> and meet people and like, you know, have, you know, in-person relationships. And, you know, he's a he was a friend of one of my friends and that's how we ended up meeting. So um, do we think that, you know, apps and things like this, do they foster a different type of experience, especially when you are first starting a relationship? Does it foster an experience where you are 
able to have a money conversation much earlier? Or does it still feel like it's very much like you got to be a couple months in or maybe a couple years in before you can have the money conversation? I don't know who wants to pick this up. Ooh, that's a great <laughs> question. People are not having the conversations. <laughs> they're not. Still. No, still. No, they're not. Wow. Because it's still considered a taboo. To be talking about money, it's like, oh, well, especially like considering the narratives, right? Like, especially like around black women. If you if a black woman begins a conversation with a romantic partner talking about money, they're looking at her like she is a gold digger who doesn't have money of her own and is looking for a come up. Oh, shit. (laughs) Yeah. So when you're when you're having money conversations. Cause you know, like so-called too early. Now it's like, oh, you must not have none, and you trying to get mine, and I'm not dating no gold diggers, right? And, and then it's like, well, okay. And at what point do you actually bring it back up? At what point do you talk about, you know, your six-figure student loan debt because that is money, right? Like, when do you start having those conversations? And people are delaying those conversations until they feel like they are serious about somebody because we treat our lack of money as a secret shame or our having money as something that we are supposed to be secretly glad about and show by the way of the things that we wear and the things that we buy, but not through the things that we say. Because if we say we have money, then people will be like, well, you fronting. You, you starting for the gram. I mean, look at them taking these daggone pictures on, on, on private jets that don't belong <laughs> to this. Word. Yeah, that's so interesting. And it really seems like it's very much still an insecurity. Like how I was saying, I have a lot of insecurities around money. And um, I don't even remember when, you know, we in my own relationship, when we brought up money until it was like, you're moving in. So now we need to talk yeah. about how we're going to pay the rent. <laughs> Yo, nothing has changed. No, I completely agree. I think once you actually have to deal with the finances together as a couple, that's when the conversation starts coming up or like who's going to pay, you know, the utility bill or who's going to pay rent, you know, are we splitting 50-50? But even then, a lot of people, especially in the Latino culture, you know, I speak on, you know, my culture and what I've experienced as well is, you know, it's even shameful to even start that conversation, right? You know, there's a lot of shame when it comes to money. And Dr. Donna was explaining that too, you know, the way that you show up and show out, you know, on social media is very different than your reality, right? You might have 20K, 10K of credit card debt and they don't know until you feel serious and you actually build that trust to have that communication because there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of stress when we start talking about money, um, fear and shame, right? So these are all these negative emotions that are coming up and you want to be able to be vulnerable with that person to talk about money. Like I personally, when I was dating, you know, I've been dating my partner for, you know, eight months now. And even before that, I didn't bring up my money conversation, my status with anybody in my first two dates, right? Like that wasn't something that I would talk about. I would just say, you know, I own my own business. I do this and this, and that's pretty much it. I didn't think that they needed to know my status of how where I'm at right I think that really does come with trust and vulnerability to be able to share that experience because that alone is a big deal you know um because you guys obviously mentioned like you don't want malintento meaning like you don't want bad intentions when you have you know when you're dating right you don't want someone to think that you're a gold digger or you don't want anyone to think that you're broke as well and I think 
we have to let go of these expectations too, right? Everyone just expects something of someone that they have to have a job, that they have to have a, a good career. Oh, I want someone who has this, you know, X, Y, Z career. You know, why can't you just fall in love with the human and what they bring to the relationship? Is there a reciprocity in this relationship where, you know, you're bringing in the same effort that they're bringing into the table, you know, like it's energy driven versus money driven too, because, you know, I don't, I personally don't expect anything financially from my partner. And if she does bring something into the table, I'm so grateful and I'm happy. But I know that I've secured my financial security in our relationship. And yes, there's moments of stress, but it's I trust her in the sense that this is a together, we're a partnership. And I guess a lot of people and a lot a lot of individuals and couples just don't have these conversations. Like I said, I made a video about this and a lot of people are commenting like, yeah, a lot of my problems is because we, we just have these expectations and that, that the man is going to provide everything to the household. And that's why they come home stressed. And that's why they come home, you know, wanting food at the table because they're freaking tired from their long day of, you know, this, this pressure that they have to feed the whole entire household especially like you know families when you have three four five six siblings you know that's a lot of pressure right and they don't even have those conversations you know as couples a lot of them like don't share oh i'm stressed because you don't have to feed the family just kind of like oh it's just the set expectation yeah absolutely 100 percent. and you know i'm listening to you both speak and i automatically just think about that shame associated with money. And I would say for me, uh, a little bit over a year now into my relationship, we have had the awkward money talks, y'all. We definitely oh, had it. Shit. It was how they go. <laughs> it was it was awkward as fuck. But I would say that it was really cathartic. Um, because you know what, we're not alone in having to convey or having to explain to someone, listen, my situation is unique, right? I have these responsibilities. I have to move in a certain kind of way so that I can guarantee my own success. And that's what I'm focused on. So yeah, maybe I can't go on vacation, right? Yeah. Maybe I can't eat out all the time, right? Like maybe we can't go see that Mary J. Blige concert. Like we can't do those things. And I know that because a lot of us are on the gram and we see so many people having a good time, we want to be like that. I think some of that social pressure to show up in a certain way kind of creeps itself into our relationships in the most unrealistic way. So I'm glad that we had those awkward conversations together. The last thing that I would say, because I've been speaking for a bit, is that now we're having like this kind of revolution. I, I noticed that Black folks, Latinos are in this conversation now. We have Earn Your Leisure, for example, different platforms that are coming up and that are talking about money. I would say since the pandemic, people are talking about investing more. I think that we're getting a better appetite, growing our appetite for conversations about money and folks are trying to figure it out. There is so much value in partnership to navigate the financial space of life that I think we have to abandon the shame and start to be honest. Like we are not in a fucking music video. This is real life. It's hard out here. And I think that we have a lot more in common in that regard than in being out here, uh, cashing checks and being rich. Like, I don't think that that's the common narrative. So I would encourage people to just be open, honest, talk to their, their partner about it. It, it made, it, I would say made my situation better. Yeah. I love that. Um, you know, I'm a child of divorce. And I think that definitely has changed the way in which I kind of approach relationship. Whereas before it felt very toxic. And then as I was kind of growing up and realizing, oh, shit, I'm basically replicating my parents' Lucky. marriage. <laughs> I was like, okay, let me try something a little bit different. And I really attribute, you know, trying something different 
um, to the longevity of my current relationship. But, you know, the statistics are still really high that divorce rates, for the most part, over 50% of them are because of money issues. And I want to start with Dr. Donna first. I don't know the racial statistics of that, but is it the same for black and brown people? Because we know that there is not only a um, pay gap, um, particularly in corporations, but there's also just a wealth gap in general, um, generationally. And do, do our communities have a slightly better sense of like, we need to have each other's backs when it comes to money? Or is it really still kind of that divorce rate still infiltrating our communities where it's just too difficult of a conversation? What do you think? Honestly, I feel like money money is going to have an impact, period, right? Um, and it is going to impact how we see relationships and whether or not we want to stay in relationships and what that thing looks like, Um and I guess at the same time, I'm just like, when I try to take a step back and consider divorce rates and all that jazz, like, I know that a lot of people are unhappy about divorce rates, but I am not. <laughs> okay. Ooh, the tea. Give us the tea. <laughs> Why are you not bothered by it? I'm not bothered by it because divorce rates say I'm actually not okay with where our relationship is right now. And I need it to end as I know it. It's people choosing themselves. It's, it's people saying, you know, like, you know what? And it's not a failed relationship. And I said it before Tia said it on TV. It's not about whether or not you failed in, in your relationship. It's, it's about like, okay, the relationship has run its course. It doesn't mean that you failed. When you, when you finish school, it's run its course. When you, when, you know, you move from one house to the next house, when you move from one job to the next job, the thing has run its course and then you get to move on. And yes, the, the idea of the longevity of a relationship being from, I don't know, the time that you like 12 to the time you die, that's cute. It is very cute, but we are living longer than people did previously, number one. And number two, um, we have a different subset of issues that, you know, some people just, other people just did not have. So number one, divorce, seeing people divorce doesn't make me sad. Seeing people divorce, actually, I'm looking at it, I'm like, oh, well, good for you, right? <laughs> as long as it's the divorce that you were okay with, right. and that's fine. <laughs> right, like the monetary reasons for people divorcing, I stand by what I said earlier, and I'm just like, the money is a mask. For the other shit that's wrong in the in the context of the relationship, which ends up coming back down to money, which ends up coming back down to power and control. Because uh, one thing that I did want to say earlier was just like we allow capitalism to be blatant in a way that we do not allow for racism and sexism. We talk about racism and sexism as the problem. We talk about white supremacy. We talk about male supremacy. We do not, in the same way, often talk about capitalism. We end up talking about it like we are the reason for the shame of the emptiness of our bank accounts. I love what you just said. I love that. So at least with the other ones, you know, like racists have learned to try and hide it, right? To at least be one to say, I'm not a racist, right? Oh, I'm not sexist. I love women, right? Like, but with money, people still get to be blatantly 
in their ism about it. And we don't call them in on it. And instead, we look at it as the individual's problem instead of a systemic issue that then shows up in how we relate to one another. Because divorcing because somebody don't have money is kind of sad. Because it says that the world around you chose your relationship and chose whether or not it was going to be successful. Yeah, that actually kind of like reminds me of one of the start, like the question that Ileana asked at the beginning, which was kind of about like, are we the fucked up ones or is our culture reflecting back at us when we see things like um, being elevated in the social space or being elevated in popular culture, right? Like capitalism. This whole, if you got a bag, you know what I'm saying? If you got this, if you got this, this, this specific, uh, whatever, drip, this clothing, this car, right? Like the culture that we're in really, really magnifies wealth. And everybody is on this journey to achieve said wealth, right? Partnership and all of that stuff is a part of like a facade. I think the thing about love and the thing about, you know, what do you do with your money, right? How can you be more equitable with your money? How can you be more responsible with your money? Is, is not even the conversation half of the time. It's about like, you know, just flaunting. And I think that the, the idea that your relationship or your money is, is there to kind of like show everyone else that you've made it or that you've arrived is a part of the problem. You know, I, like one of the statistics that I think is very, very interesting is just the fact that millennials and Gen Zs are getting married at a way less rate than, than prior generations. We're having way less sex, which is interesting. Then prior generations, I mean, you know, I got to hear your tea on that, the sex part. But I do think that what's happening now is that because of the social experiments and experience that we're having online is that we're very, very removed for each other. But one thing that has remained the same and that we've grown up on is like this idea that, you know, you want to be the rapper, right? You want to be the woman who has the rich husband. Right. You want to be in a queer relationship that mimics that particular heteronormative standard. Wealth, beauty, success, great wedding, take the pictures for the Instagram and it's going to be fantastic. And a lot of our cultures, right, are are based in this. It's like, you know, if you speak to like um my boyfriend is Nigerian and he always will say, you know, this person's getting married, that person's getting married, this person's getting married. And then you look at the wedding pictures, baby, they spent a whole hefty amount of money on that wedding, right? And it's really about oftentimes having people see that and want that and aspire to that. And we take that in and we internalize it. And then we can begin to resent people if they cannot be a part of making that secret dream or not so secret dream come true for ourselves. So I think like, you know, the romanticism, right, romanticizing money and class is ingrained in us, especially as Americans. Social media really exacerbates that. This idea of getting more and more and more is an American and a capitalistic way of life. And, and I'm thinking, how do we begin to remove ourselves from that, right? Like, how do we begin to kind of like take ourselves out of that mindset? Yeah, so that's literally the whole dynamic of my platform, like the creation of it, because as someone who doesn't come from much, my parents migrated as immigrants. I have that first-gen experience. I'm building the wealth of my generation as the first generation, right? And my parents have established the wealth that they have, they could with, you know, the ability that they have, you know, and I, I know they've already gone through so much struggle to create the wealth. So here I am creating my version of it. But 
everything that I looked for was to a standard of the American dream, right? That American, you know, the houses, the vacations, the assets, you know, and the whole entire, my, my, my business is the Riqueza Collective, and it's redefining what Riqueza means. Riqueza means wealth in Spanish, right? But wealth, I, and I've experienced this firsthand, is, is not monetary when you really think of it, about it. It's a, it's a lifestyle. Every time I ask someone, what does wealth mean to you? It's a feeling. It, it doesn't end up being monetary with everyone that I right. ask, you know, in on different perspectives, right? It's like, oh, I have the freedom to do this, or I have the ability to do, you know, do things in their life, or they feel confident, secure in their lives. And so I 100% see society impacts the next generation, right? Society, meaning you look at the Kim Kardashians, the Kardashians, right? They they post and flaunt their whole entire life. And everybody's like, oh, I want to be like that. You know, I want to do that. I want to have that type of vacation. I want to go to Mykonos. I want to go to, you know, experience these things in life, right? And as someone who's a first gen, right, and who already was set at a different level financially than, you know, maybe the typical, you know, white individual here in the United States, right, where they have generations of potential wealth that they've been able to create here, you know, I had to remove that idea that, you know, I had to be like X, Y, and Z. I was like, what does Leah really want in my generation? What do I want to create for myself? And what are the things that generally make me happy? And just removing that monetary aspect. Because when I, I used to work for a top investment banker in the United States, and I saw how greedy they were with money and how much more money they wanted to make. And especially during the pandemic, when people were losing their jobs, could barely afford their housing, yet they were promoting and sending us emails saying that they were making the most amount of money in their whole entire business, like years of business. You know, and how disgusting I felt being a part of that, mm. you know, system, right? And I'm like over here, my community is over here suffering and trying to figure it out, trying to even create the dollars to pay the food, pay their rent, right? And so I decided to leave my job, right? I did my corporate job and start my own business. Entrepreneurship really taught me what wealth meant because I was making maybe $400 a month my first experience. I had to move in with my parents, you know, the first three months of my business. I started with $47 in my bank account, my business bank account. Um, and I appreciated every dollar that I earned. Yeah. And I found wealth in other things. I found wealth in being able to go take a hike, being able to take a day off and not worry about my alarm going off at 7 a.m. so I could start my day at 8 a.m. and log into my corporate job and then work until 7, 8 p.m., you know, because I work banking hours. So, you know, 12, 13 hour days. And so I was deconstructing what I was institutionalized to do because yes. we, like, like you were saying, we have these standards of living that everyone has to follow the other side, right? Okay, wake up to your nine to five, save that money to have a mortgage, then buy that house. And then that's how you start accumulating wealth in the United States, right? And the whole thing is deconstructing all of that. Because in your generation, you are not going to have, you know, three or $4 billion, right? That might be two generations from you, maybe that, you know, three, four, I don't know. But it's a matter of thinking, what can you create for yourself in this lifetime that's realistic, right? Instead of setting all these expectations that you want to have, you know, a lot of people say, I'm going to get married by the time I'm 25 and I'm going to buy a home by I'm 27. I'm going to have my kid by I'm 30. <laughs> right? Everyone has this vision of living and I'm like, you know, I'm 25 now. You know, I want to get married, but I might just do the core process, sign those documents, not pay for a crazy wedding until maybe like two, three years from now. Like, I don't I don't even have that vision that everybody has, and especially in a career relationship where, you know, I'm still 
figuring out if my parents are even going to help me, right? My parents aren't part of my relationship because they don't want to accept my identity. So there's things that are already changing as the society evolves, right? Like these standards that, you know, your parents have to pay for the wedding. And, you know, again, it's all based on the, the white American dream life. Yeah. I think the average at the time that I got married for spending on a wedding was like $30,000. <laughs> it was wild. It was a wild, exorbitant amount of money. Even like rings, like why do we, why do women, and obviously men wear rings too, but why do we wear rings? Like that's not an indigenous concept. It's, you know, so I, I did a whole thing on it and, um, and I, and it took me a while to get there. Cause I know Donovan said that was his dream too. Dr. Donna in the chat just typed in. That was me too. Like we all had these like goals, uh, like age goals and limits of like when we wanted to get married, have kids, get the nice job, have the million dollars in the bank account. Right. Like, I think we all kind of grew up with that. And a lot of that has to do with Hollywood, right? Like the ways in which we have internalized relationships that Hollywood has shown us. Mm -hmm. Last question. Would you recommend to anyone to get into a relationship just for love? Or would you say, no, they got to have a little bit of money? Love. Love wins always because that's the dynamic that I started my relationship. I never had an expectation of money. I never had expectations of what's your career like? Do you have degrees? Do you have X, Y, and Z? Um, and thanks to dating apps, you know, I didn't, you know, I have my title on there. She had hers, but as we got to know each other, I fell in love with her as a human and what she had to bring to the table emotionally. And if financially there was a part of that, that came with it, great, but I fell in love with the individual. And I think, like I said, a lot of people just have an expectation that they want to be taken care of in society, cultural standards that need to be removed because at the end of the day your dynamic comes from your own personal relationship your own personal finances finance are fucking personal that's really why it's called that because every dynamic is different so i'm i personally believe love over everything love that love that i'm gonna say that too love over everything love over everything what about you dr donna i'm gonna give you the last word i love that answer and i would say that now nah, you need a little bit of <laughs> <laughs> I think wow. while we may want to um, move beyond what the world is, that we still are of the world, right? So um, for me, it's the equivalent of like when people say like they don't see color, they just fell in love with the person. I'm like, that's cute because your, your culture also helped you to see somebody as attractive versus someone else is not, right? So um, I think of money as something and capitalism as being something that is very similar in how we look at relationships. And the fact is that some of us, we cannot afford to just love. We cannot afford to just love because we are already at a disadvantage in this world, in the way that this world shows up. The darkness of my skin will not allow my husband not to go get him Go get some money, right? Um, because we need that also as a part of our security. Because being Black and in love is cute, 
But being black and in love and you having a little bit of money also offers an additional shield against the racist world around us. And that, my friends, is the perfect ending to our summer school series. Our thanks to Leah, Dr. Donna, and Eliana for such an amazing episode. If you enjoyed this conversation, please give us a five-star review and follow us at The Stranger Fruit on social media. And let us know some topics you want us to cover for season two. Tell a friend to tell a friend, and we will see you soon. In the meantime, be kind, be curious, and be fruitful, y'all. Peace.